to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Good morning. Will you just greet the neighbor next to you and say, Whoa, why have you got such a smile on your face? my powerpoint so <clears throat> greetings from cape town um and uh, sure last night when the thunder struck i thought it was like the second coming i was um praying repenting of all my sins so i know it's it's nice to come to Joburg because you all repented of all your sins and you're sorted out because every second night you have some thunder thunder uh, we're not used to that because I thought, like, what on earth is happening here? Jesus, receive my spirit. Um, <clears throat> but it's good. Um, it's good, good to be here. It's lucky to be here. Thank you, Pastor Henny and Jan George and everyone. Um, I'm always afraid to preach here because Pastor Henny is, um, is like the teacher, so I always double-check my outline. But this morning I threw the outline away, so I'll just read you a couple of scriptures and, uh, and then later on. Fortunately, I'm just jumping. One o'clock the plane is, le- oh, no? yeah, one o'clock the plane is leaving, so, so you can't like, you know, rebuke me if I misuse the scripture and stuff like that. I always make sure that when I leave, it's as quick as possible so that, you know, I don't get the WhatsApps, but I'm only joking. Um, what, what, a, what a privilege to, to, to know God's Word. You know, there are, there are so few people that, that actually, in the days that we're living, so few people are actually looking to God's Word. You know, I, I deal a lot with students and young people, and it's, it's just amazing how we've become so, such an instant generation, such a drive-through generation that we just... You know, we don't have a hunger and a, and a desire to really know God's Word because it's easier sometimes to download stuff from YouTube or the next sermon of this or whatever. Uh, but it's only God's Word that will remain. And um, if we don't have a love for God's Word in this time, there will be so much deception. And um, I was driving with um, Angus the other day because we're doing like a lot of campus tours. And he said something that really struck me. He said, people that study banknotes... And people that work in the forensic departments and all of that stuff, when they look at the, the 200 rand note, they always look at the real thing. They, most of their time goes into studying the real thing. So that when the false thing comes onto their desk, they have no problem to identify the false thing because they know the real thing. And when, once you know the real thing, it is so easy to let go of all the false things because there are going to be how many different deceptions or different kinds or variations of the false 200 rand note in South Africa especially, you know. But when you know the real thing, all the other stuff fades away. And my question this morning is, are you really studying Christ? Are you studying His Word? Or are we so busy with trying to sometimes figure out our own lives, fix our own lives, fix the stuff around us? Or sometimes we operate in fear in our relationship with God because we're so afraid that we're going to get deceived. Or we're so afraid and, and then we forget that we must actually study the real thing. We must actually study God. That's what theology is. Am I right, Danny? Uh, thank you very much. He sh- shook his head. Okay. Yes, yes, one point. I've got, I've, I've got, I'm earning some points here. So my, I've entitled my short message of, you know, and that means absolutely nothing if a preacher says that, um, bring the evidence. And I'm, I'm going to speak about something very simple. It's called faith today. Because especially for people that has been going a while with God, uh, sometimes we have faith in faith, sometimes we have a lot of stuff, but, but simply, is, is your life evidence of the fact that Christ lives? If, if, if somebody is around in your workplace and wherever you are, is, are you a testimony, are you evidence of the fact that Christ is alive? In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, it says there that, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
the evidence of things not seen out of the New King James. So simply sometimes we, we get so used to just going on in our lives with God that we, we almost become professional Christians. Hey, I'm going to church because, you know what, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> now there's nothing wrong with that, but if you don't apply your faith, if you don't apply your heart, if you don't open up your heart, then we become just professional. We become full of dignity and we say, oh yeah, I'm sorted out. But if you meet with Jesus, your life will change. Otherwise, you've not met with Jesus. Every time you meet with Him, every time you come to church, every time you spend time in the Word, the good news is there's always going to be change. And the better news is it's not going to be Christ. It's you. (laughs) It's me. Why? Because we are being transformed. We are being renewed into the image of Christ. And so, so here it says, what, what do you see? The evidence of things not seen. <laughs> you know, we try to have or form most of our relationship with God through things that we see. So we say, yeah, if, if, if there was a financial breakthrough in my life, then it means God exists. But, but no, the evidence starts in your heart. It starts right here when you wake up every morning and there's a song in your life because you realize God is alive. <laughs> I know Him. I have a relationship with Him. Because once you've met that real Jesus, then whatever happens around you, you're not faded by your circumstances. You're not looking for a prosperity gospel. You're not looking for a grace gospel. You're not looking for a different gospel. You're looking for the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is founded. It's a story of a man. So I want to read us just of two people just to remind us, and we're going to jump one or two slides in Luke chapter 23. Because... It's again, I I, want to challenge us about, do we actually see Christ first in our own lives? In here in Luke, it says, then one of the criminals who was hanging blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself in us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justify, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, now this is Jesus hanging on the cross with two criminals that all the evidence has been put against them. They know they're guilty. The other gospels actually says that both of them started off blaspheming God and saying, you're not, you're not this. I, I don't know what they said, but it wasn't nice. And so here Jesus is hanging in the middle of two thieves, robbers, criminals, that probably killed people. We don't know exactly what they did, but we know that right at the end of Jesus' life, this is now what's happening on the cross. And these two guys are crying out to Christ and just saying bad stuff. And then the one turns and he says this. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I, I want you to think about this because the one moment this guy is blaspheming and saying stuff about God, about Jesus, and then in a change of a couple of minutes, he turns his whole outlook, his whole view, based on what he sees happening next to him. They say if you squash an orange, you get what? Orange juice. If you get squashed, if a Christian gets squashed, do we see Christ? Does Christ come out? Or, and, and this is so remarkable about the cross that, that in this moment, the guy next to Christ that is going through a lot of pain, he, he turns and he says, Lord. <laughs> he says, Lord, remember me when you are in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, definitely, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Sure. So I, I don't know if you realize how profound this is, but, but if you're hanging there under great pain and you are looking to somebody else, everybody is screaming at this man. Everybody is like, hey, you're deserving, I'm deserving of death. And then suddenly something turns. Something in your heart turns when you see Christ for who he really is. Lord, remember me 
when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus says, today. <laughs> today. Now, sometimes we lose this. We, we, we sort of become, like I say, such, so professional in our walk with God that we forget that God can change a nation in a day. Sometimes because it's easier to box God in in our lives and say, yeah, yeah, you know. But if, if God can change one, one, change one man's heart, one man's mind in a moment, then do you know what? God can turn any Christian around, any non-Christian, any, in a moment when you see Christ. Why do we stop believing that? Because we live in an environment of unbelief. The greatest sin in the church is the unbelief today. It's not immoral sin and all the stuff we've done wrong. That's just the fruit of the fact that we've stopped being believers. When, when we started with this tour on the campuses, you know, there were was, there was some church leaders that sat me down. They actually called me in for a cup of coffee. And I was thinking like, hey, this is going to be a great conversation. They're going to be excited. Where am I going Machantas. I was I was so shocked. I was shocked out of my everything. Not out of my faith. I just went back and I said, Thank you, Jesus. We're still preaching the gospel. But this guy said, Yo, the fact that the husband, the man, must be the leader of the home, and the fact that they must still discipline your children, and the fact that Genesis was literal, and the all 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 these things, you know, but because of that, what these Angus is preaching, we can't have him on our campus. And I'm thinking like so what do you believe? I'm not dealing with a believer here. I'm be- dealing with a non-believer. Because he doesn't believe. <laughs> if you don't believe in Genesis, you can't believe that Jesus died because where did sin enter? There's no point of accountability. Hello? <laughs> so many times we are dealing with a lot of unbelieving believers around us. I hope you're not one of them. That's going through all the motions, but what, what's happening? What's the evidence in your heart? What's the evidence of your life? If somebody walks into your life now, this morning, and say, Hey, does Christ exist? What are you going to say? Well, you're going to say, Well, my whole life is because of Him. Today I live because of Him. You see, that's what happened to this man. There was another guy at the cross. In Mark chapter 15, we read about him. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. And then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I love this. The veil was torn from top to bottom. <laughs> God says, I'm going to intervene. I'm... I'm allowing you to come into my presence. And so when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he crowded out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. If a centurion that did and crucified people every day as his job could look at Jesus and look at what happened around him and his result, or his crying out after he saw Jesus hanging on that cross. Surely, this man was the Son of God. You see, if you come to the place of the most excruciating pain of your life, that's where the word excruciating comes from, out of the cross, ex the cross, out of the cross. And a man that has been doing this as his job, a Roman centurion that has got nothing to do with religious stuff, nothing to do with stuff out there, and he says, this is, this is what my, this is the evidence that I see. The way that this Jesus hangs on this cross, the way that he died, the way that things happen in this couple of hours around this cross, surely this man was the son of God. I don't know about you, but that stirs something in my heart when I think about the cross. And, and, and very simply, if, if we want to talk about faith, if we want to talk about our relationship with God, if we don't marvel at the cross, if you've lost that sensitivity to what Christ has done on the cross, you are in trouble. Because we're going to worship Him as the Lamb that was slain. <laughs> at the center of our revelation in heaven will be the Lamb that was slain is the sacrifice of Christ, the life of Christ, the blood of Christ. And you know what? We don't hear in churches anymore that people talk about the blood of Christ. 
We take communion sometimes and we think, oh, yeah, that's just a nice thing to do. Because, but we've lost the, the, the sanctity, the sacredness of, of the cross. The cross has been removed out of the gospel, the cross of Christ. But the challenge for us is this morning, are we coming back to that place where we just say, oh, Lord, do you know what? Give me a soft heart again to believe, to believe. To believe what you did, Lord, brings everything is evidence of your life, of your love, of your resurrection. Sure, that was a good place to say amen. Uh, thank you for your enthusiasm over there. Okay, sure, sure. Let me help you a little bit here. Okay. <laughs> Listen to this in Romans chapter 8 verse 22. It, it talks about that, that when the sons and, and daughters of God... We're going to stand up. It says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But this hope that is seen is not hopeful. Why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we are hopeful what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. There are some of us that have grown so tired because we started to look at stuff. We find our hope in other things. And Scripture says your hope is only in the cross, in what Christ has done. This is not our home, people in Johannesburg. And I want to say to you, I've got a message from God for you. You are living as if this is your home. Stop living as, this, as if this is your home. We are only passing through. We are going somewhere. There's a hope beyond the veil. That is the anchor of our soul. <laughs> you know, just going through all of these campuses and, and, and realizing, you know, we ask one question there. It says, hey, how many of you struggle with depression? And it is just amazing that on all these campuses, 90%, more than 90% of the students that will be the future leaders of our nation lift up their hands and say, we struggle with great depression and great fear. You see, why are we trapped in fear? Because perfect love casts out fear. If there's fear in your life, you and I have not surrendered to the love of God. But there's something God wants. God is, you know, the, the other day, and this is, this is, you know, before this campus thing, I have to tell you this, but that is just between the two of us. Is that all right? Okay. Don't tell anybody else. So, um, <clears throat> What, what was happening about four, no, five weeks ago when Angus phones me, we talk, talk on the phone about, you know, what's happening on the campuses. And I say, no, it's not lacquer. Things are really tough. Uh, and everybody's living in fear and stuff. And so he says, so what are we going to do about it? I say, no, maybe come to Stellenbosch and come and preach there or let's, let's try something. He says, okay, let's go and pray. And um, I say, maybe we must go to the campuses some other time. So I'm thinking about next year. I'm thinking about, you know, because you need at least six months, nine months to plan for a lot of this stuff, you know. So two days later, he phones me again. He says, no, this is it. We're going to come. I'm going to cancel my trip to America. We have to do it because the time is now. So I said, oh, wonderful. So I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking of all the work and all the stuff. I'm just, I'm just keeping quiet. And um, and so the first one that we had at UCT, he stands up and this is what he says. He says, "Now see us got a clear word from the Lord that we must come to the campuses." And I'm sitting there. I'm thinking like, "Lord, you tricked me into something." <laughs> and I'm backing him. That's what he said. I'm saying, "No, you got." <laughs> now we're trying to figure out who got the word, you know. But um. But then I, then I realized simply, you know, there's some stuff we pray about that we should not pray about. If God said, go and make disciples of Johannesburg, what are you doing about it? Why do you need confirmation of something that God has already told you? If you're sitting here today and you need to get baptized or you need to give your life to Christ, then do it today. Stop having excuses. Stop saying to God, Yeah, God, but you know what? I'm just like Moses. I couldn't speak. Do you know what? God, I'm just like Abraham. I'm still full of idolatry. Oh, God, I'm just like Daniel. Oh, God, I'm just like David. I'm just a shepherd boy. I can just do like a couple of stones and a, maybe a bear or a lion sometimes. But, you know, we are in Africa, so the lions, you know, but we shoot them. We don't, you know, like this. But whatever. 
Every story of somebody in Scripture was of somebody that felt weak at the worst time of their life that just says, God, I don't feel spiritually ready for it. Because if you have faith, people, faith is not something you can do. It's not what I can do. If, if, it's, if you can do it in the natural, it's not faith. It's not hope. It's the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it in the natural, then it's probably your dream. It's not God's dream. Hello. <laughs> and then most of the time when you're just there and th- things begin to happen, that's when God begins to stir in your life. And so, so <clears throat> that's when you sort of almost want to pinch yourself and say, God, I, I don't know if this is really real. You know, what's happening here? <laughs> Faith and hope. See, the whole of creation is waiting, is eagerly waiting for the revelation of the sons and the daughters of God. God is waiting for you. You are not waiting for God. Come on. Stop thinking that God is, you know, oh God, please, you know, if you bring this miracle, then I'm going to start following you. That's not scriptural. I learned it the hard way. Some of you have heard this story, but you know, I was there up in Nigeria, idol worship, right? Not bonker a little bit, you know? So there's one day I get, you know, we, we're like a group of people there sitting and I'm thinking like, this is amazing. So, so we, we, we're ready to go to this big outreach and there's just a million people there. So I'm overwhelmed by all of this stuff. And so the morning before the time, now he asked me to pray. And I'm thinking like, Sure. <laughs> This is it, you know. So now I start. I say, Father, I thank you. I call down the fire from heaven. I call down open heavens. And in the middle of this prayer, this is what I hear. No. Stop. This is Um Umreinat. It wasn't God speaking. It was Um Umreinat. It it felt like God speaking. Because the first thing that went through my head is, Lord, let the rapture happen right now. I don't want to continue continue with this conversation because you know i'm just thinking like you know and so he stopped me in the middle of my prayer in front of all the people he says i want to correct you you're going to need to pray over again god is waiting for us we don't call down fire from heaven when the holy spirit is already here when scripture says he's already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in jesus christ Shoe. Shoe, shoe. <laughs> Double shoe. <laughs> shoe, shoe, shoe. <laughs> Triple shoe. <laughs> you know? So now I said, pray again. I'm thinking like, oh, my God. I just said, Lord, thank you. And I thought like, just pray scripture. Thank you that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Thank you, Lord, that we are <laughs> So I just quote one scripture after the other. I didn't even mention a the, a, a or a sir in between. Because I just realized... He can't rebuke me on scripture, you know, so I was just, I was just, just thinking, I'm going to have no feeling, Lord, call down the fire, open up the heavens, render the heavens, let it fall down. No, 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 not emotion like that, you know. And it was a short prayer, it wasn't a long, just, I quoted five scriptures and then said, Amen, and then, then I felt like, but it's amazing how God can rebuke you sometimes, because we have this tendency that says, oh, yo, 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 yo. I have to have 10 confirmations when God has already told you to do something. Husband, if God has told you to be the leader of the home, then you lead the home because you know you're going to be accountable to him. Stop making excuses. You read the Bible to your children. You take spiritual lead in the home. You love your wife as Christ loves the church. Take the lead. Oh, we all won. But hey guys, let's move right along. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. It's, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to be fancy today or saying, but, but just simply, what are we believers, people? Are we walking in this place where God is challenging us and God is saying, hey, do something that you can't do because you need me? Or are we living actually independent lives from God? We're fixing our lives, we're doing everything, and now we just, when everything is fixed, we just invite God in. So, oh Lord, please bless. Oh Lord, please come 
and, and, and come and bless my life that I'm busy with because I'm actually sitting on the throne of my life. Where is there surrender, a wholehearted surrender to Christ? We say, God, I cannot make it through this life. I'm nothing. You're everything. So faith isn't for things or breakthrough or miracles. Faith is a position in your heart. It's a trust. It's a complete dependence on God. And that's why Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. You know, there's a story of, of a persistent woman, a parable Jesus, Jesus spoke this woman that comes to the judge over and over, and eventually this judge just says, hey, I'm going to give this lady what she wants because she's been crying, she's been moaning, she's been waning, she's been just like she's been bugging me so much. You know what? I'm actually going to give her what she, what she wants. And then he gives her what she needs, wants and needs. But then the scripture says there's something amazing. It says, and yet, when the Son of Man comes back to the earth, Will he find true faith? Jesus is not going to come back and tell you, Oh, you worshipped so greatly all of your life. Jesus is going to come and he's going to ask for fruit. And that fruit is a result of faithfulness, being full of faith all the time. Living a faithful life. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So that in every season, every position, wherever you are, you are living a life of surrender. You're living a life of trusting God. You're living a life of faith in God. That who He says He is, He is that. And what He said He will do, He will do that. God said it. I believe it and that settles it. Finished. So what words has God spoken over your life? Maybe it's been 20 years ago. Maybe it's been 10 years ago. You need to get the dust of those words. Get the dust of that Bible. Pluck it out and say, God, I realize that I've become an unbeliever. An unbelieving believer. Because we're bombarded with unbelief when we look at our circumstances. It's real. Fear is real. <laughs> when you look at that stuff happening in your life. But when Christ calls you, you're going to walk on water. I'll rather sink trying to walk on water than be in the boat and talk about somebody that tried walking on the water. Hello? Because Peter tried. I've been dreaming from when I was young that I'm going to walk on water. I know I'm going to do it. I don't like bathing, but you know what? Sometimes I just have to take a bath because then I practice. Maybe tonight is the night. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet 20 years later, but you know what? It's going to happen. I know it. Because when you bath, you sort of lie in your own, you know, dirt. Shower, it washes off. Bath is you're actually lying in the dirt, you know, and then you're thinking like you're clean. Now all the ladies are thinking, no, 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 no. That's why we have foam bath, you know, and all that other stuff, you know. <laughs> okay, but in any case, so. Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. You see, godly fear and faith works together. If you have the fear of man, if you have the fear of failure, if you have the fear of rejection in your life, if that motivates you, you cannot have that fear and the fear of God at the same time. You're either going to fear God or you're going to fear man. Or you're going to fear failing. Or you're going to fear your future. But fear you will have in your life and you can choose. I can choose what fear we're going to have. An all amazing fall on your face before an almighty holy God and you're accountable to him and a loving father. That is the fear God wants. It's not a negative fear. It's a like a wow fear. The other fear is like brings death it torments you but it says here that when we come to god there's a surrender we believe and it's not something we try it's not an emotion it's just it starts with a choice just like love do you know love starts with a choice 
Jesus didn't feel good by hanging on the cross. He didn't feel like, oh, I love these people so much. I feel so emotional about having their sins on me. It feels so good. There's nothing good about that choice of sacrifice of real love. Real love is a commitment, a choice, because you understand covenant. You understand what it is. Now, faith is the same. Faith is, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to, I'm going to stand. I'm going to, I'm going to step out. And, and so, so yeah, the, the whole men of faith, the Bible begins to talk about them. And I can just, I can just imagine Noah. Noah, and God says to Noah, Noah, build an ark. A what? An ark. A big ship. A wooden thing. Now, it's not like the little children's picture shows you that little thing. It was massive. It was huge. It was like massive. It was like, and so yeah, he, he starts to build this thing. And I can just imagine everybody walking past Noah, the community. Now, apparently, according to the scientists, actually before Jesus, before Noah's time, there was no rain. Rain didn't fall. So, so now Noah begins to explain to them, now God told me there's going to be water falling from the sky. What? Rain. They should have called it Noah, you know? Noah is going to fall from the sky, you know? Because that's probably how I felt, that he's going to like... But rain is going to fall from the sky, and there's going to be so much water, this thing of mine is going to start floating. I can just imagine what people said <laughs> while he was building, him and his family. Crazy Noah. Crazy bunch of people there in Shofar in Johannesburg. They're trusting God for, for like... They're trusting God for the old Johannesburg? No, 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 no. It hasn't happened before. It, 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 it can't be. Now stay away from friends that is always telling you what you can't do, what the false looks like. When you just say, God, this is what you say. This is what the true looks like. This is what your Bible says. I'm going to believe you. <laughs> We're rather going to be a fool there. <laughs> so here goes Noah and Abraham and every one of the, the Bible begins to mention them. <laughs> Abraham walking up with his son, all the promises. But, you know, God, this doesn't work out for me because you said that as many as these stars in the sky, this is how many children and how many my inheritance. And now God says, go and, go and take that son of yours and go and sacrifice it. Three days he walks up that mountain. God, everything inside me feels dead right now. There's some of you that feel like that this morning, but you're in the best place of your life because now you can start to trust God. <laughs> you see, if you don't come to the end of yourself, then you're always going to rely on yourself. You're going to rely on the things that happens around you. You're going to say, oh, I can do it. And then God, please, I, I invite you <laughs> to come and bless what I'm doing. God does not work like that. God invites you to be part of what he is doing, even in your own life. So we must change our prayer. Oh Lord, please work in me. No Lord, you are working in me. I'm surrendering more to your work in me. Hello. <laughs> are you with me this morning? The plane is starting up. Okay. So, so when we come, but you know what the devil sets us up with and this world sets us up with? It's called the hardened hearts. It's called the fence. And, and offense and, and things like that is, is, is so challenging if we live in an environment of fear and of unbelief. So I just, I just want to show you here in Matthew 18, verse 1 to 7, you can read the whole part. But at this time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called the little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. To become like a child, he says, first be born again, that's where you start. If you're not born again here this morning, then you need to commit your life to Christ, because he makes all things new. One moment, one moment in the presence of God, one moment of surrender, and he gives you a new life. That's the greatest miracle that we can ever see is that God changes your spiritual DNA and he puts himself inside of you. It's called being converted, born again. Now Jesus says, and the disciples, they're going on, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to rule? Who's going to reign? Who's going to drive the fanciest car? Who's going to sit in the throne next to you? They, they're in a worldly way. And then Jesus says, this, unless you're converted, and you become as little children. 
See, the world works differently because what the world does, it says, ah, you know, the older you get, the more cynical, the more negative, the more critical. Because you know what? We must live a more balanced life. If I get one more Christian that says to me, hey, you must be more balanced. Then I think, like, I'm going to smack you. Where do you find that word in Scripture? No, no, no. You know, I'm growing older now. So, so no, those young people that has got all that zeal, do you know? No, no, they just don't have knowledge. And then I'm thinking like Gideon's army, how God would come and there's like, what, 30,000? Any am I right? 30,000 was the, you know? I'm just checking there if any's still smiling. If he's smiling, I'm feeling okay. But, um, you know? And so there's a massive army coming against him, and then God says, no, 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 no. You know, I'm, I'm not looking. I'm not looking for the numbers here. And then the second time, the next round, <laughs> he goes to take them to where they drink water. And God says, all you do is you stand there and you look at how they drink water. Because some of them are going to bend down, and others are going to drink like this. They're going to bend down, but they're going to lap up the water, look to the horizon. Only choose those. And then 300, 300, out of all the thousands, God didn't condemn the others. God didn't say, oh, you know, you're not going to get into the promises of God. You're not going to get any reward. But God only needs 300 people that has got the right focus. And eventually when they storm into that other tents and stuff, the enemy flees. <laughs> as for the Lord and for Gideon. As for the Lord and for Gideon. Not just as for the Lord, as for the Lord and for Gideon. Well, that's prideful. No, no. Just step onto what God tells you to do. And so, so God says, become like a child. Is there a song in your heart when you wake up in the morning? Are you, are you actually excited? Is there actually a joy in your heart because you're serving Christ? Or have you become negative and critical and the circumstances have so overwhelmed you that you don't believe anymore? Then you're in a good place today. You're a good place to start to first repent of your unbelief. Just say to God, God, I'm sorry. I want to become like a child again. Because do you know children? They just instantly forgive. They just instantly believe. They just believe that their dads are the best. They just believe, they just believe like, we can change the world right now. Because if their dad says so, do you know what? We believe it. They just, there's just a spontaneous. Why? Because there's an innocence and a purity from which they operate. The other day, I've got three children, my youngest one. We were sitting there and this one guy was lying. This one person was lying, telling lies. And then he walked, he pulled me, you know, Josh is his name. He pulled me aside and he looked at me and says, that was a lie. Is he going to hell? <laughs> so just try to figure out. We need to go and settle. We need to go and talk to that person because that person just told a bunch of lies. And, and the Bible says, you know, liars don't go to heaven. So let's just sort out his heart. <laughs> <You know? Ooh. laughs> the Bible also talks about cowards that won't go to heaven. Not just the adulterers and the fornicators and the homosexuals, it's cowards. So, when the Son of Man comes back to the earth, will he find true faith? The number one thing on which Jesus challenged his disciples with. Didn't challenge them on intimacy. Didn't challenge them, oh, you should have worshipped more in the boat. Oh, you of little faith. Why are you here? And that faith starts in God, in who He is. Not in His reward, first in who He is. Faith that when you wake up in the morning and every circumstance against you says you're going to die today and you still believe God. You say, God, I believe you. I believe in you. Faith that He's going to work everything together for good in your life. Doesn't matter what the circumstances or the doctor says. God, you're going to work this together for good. Because I believe. I'm a believer. I'm not a religious Christian. I know God. 
And then you know what? When the moment when you start to walk on that journey, it's going to be tested. Every word God gives in your life, it's going to be tested with fire. So that everything else, all the emotions fade away. And the only thing you have is the word of God. <laughs> I remember going to Pakistan. Crazy place. Karachi. You know, you know my wife Louise, she's a, she's a woman of faith. She doesn't say a lot, but she believes, you know. One guy came to her you know, and asked her, now, don't you think that us and this team is going to die in Pakistan because Karachi is the most unsafe place? She says, no, definitely not because God told me he's going to come back alive. I don't know if he's going to come back with all of his limbs, but he's going to come back alive. <laughs> so I looked at her when she said that. I was thinking like, well, okay. at least half of me is going to come back alive. But praise God. But, you know, I remember driving up, we were going to this air, the airport, and we're driving up, and we, we're losing our way, because there are lots of roadworks, and we stop. It's 12 o'clock on a Friday. We needed to get to the airport. There were just 22 bombs going off in this one week that we were there. So it was a quiet week in Karachi. I remember stopping there, and, and there was roadworks, so we turned right, we went into another street, and as we got into the street, the mosque just came out. And there were about 600 to 800 angry men walking out the mosque, coming down the road where we were sitting in the car. And the one guy with his beard, most of them had beards, but they walked up and this one guy took his fist and he slammed it on the bonnet of the car. And then suddenly you have to decide, (laughs) is your life in God's hands or is it in your own? I think I prayed in tongues so much that it just like, I prayed like seven languages at the same time. (laughs) Everything inside of me says, you're going to die. Then God says, you're going to live. You're not going to die. I've been in many times like that. I had the the privilege of having near-death experiences. (laughs) Brings you to the place of suddenly you're not afraid of death. Because a Christian can't be threatened with death. <laughs> Being in India and in Mumbai one day, and I was so sick, I was lying there, I was, my, everything was turning around, and I, re, I remember three hours later, I, I had such a fever, I just thought, like, I'm going to die, this is it. And I was lying there in the shower, and then these words came to me three times, you shall live and not die. And you know what? God healed me f- at that moment, I stood up, walked out, and I was healed instantly. Three weeks later, when we go, came back to Stellenbosch, an old tiny, tiny hill in Africa walked up to me. He says, Pastor Sias, you know, like they speak in the Cape, really nice. Jilla, I get for Jilla gebed in India. I prayed for you in India. He says, but one morning I took off from two or three hours because there was a specific morning that God said I must pray for you and I prayed for three hours and I just prayed one prayer you shall live and not die and I'm thinking Father because there's a little lady sitting there at home many hours away she hasn't got a clue but she operated in faith in obedience I'm standing here, not because of me, but because of somebody else's obedience. So just take the little bit God gives you and be faithful to that. Don't try and change the world. Just where you are, are you operating in faith? Is everything you do, is it worship to God? That's my challenge, believers. Who do you believe? What do you believe? What do you want to take when you stand before Christ one day? Is there going to be real faith? Or is there going to be a lot of excuses? Is there going to be a lot of excuses? No, Lord, but if I just grew up in a better family, if I was just more together like that guy, or is the cross really sufficient to in one moment, like we saw with those two people, truly, this is the Son of God. One moment of seeing Christ can change life. Do you believe that your family members, once they see Christ, they will be changed? 
Do we believe that? Do we believe that when they just see Christ one moment, doesn't matter what their past is, they will be saved, they will be healed, they will be delivered? You know, there's one, one guy, and I'm going to end off with this story. Can I end off? Do you want to hear another story? Well, okay, no, it doesn't seem like, okay, cool, cool. Okay. You know, I, I love having people around that's got no Christian background. Because those are actually the people that we must invite into church. But you know, they don't feel welcome because many times we reject them. Because the church must be a hospital. The church is not a hotel. It's not a bioscope. It's not a cinema. The church must be a hospital for the broken. The church must be a place where those people feel welcome. Now, I remember being, having this cell in Paul Ruiz, which is a school there in, in Stellenbosch. And so we two people and we start to pray and we just say, I say to the guys, who is the guy that you think when he gets saved, the school will be turned around? The guy that you think is the most, most impossible at this stage for that guy to get saved. And when he gets saved, then things are going to turn around. And they say, so they said this specific guy. So they said, okay, every week we're going to start to pray for him. Do you know, three months later, that guy sat in our small group. He got saved. And he was like sleeping around with his girlfriend and all of that stuff. And, and so he just made like a 180 degree turn. He's got no Christian background, didn't read the Bible, atheist. They've got all their Buddha bilkis and all that stuff in the garden and all that stuff. They are higher force. You know, for the first three weeks in small group, he would come to me every time and he says, the voice spoke to me. <laughs> now I'm thinking like, what? Now he refers to God because God speaks in a voice. You know, he says, the voice. I said, no, it's God. It's your father speaking to you. Says, oh, oh, the voice. Oh, that's who the voice is. You know, I'm thinking like, okay, crazy. This is back to basics. But you know, after a week, he comes to me. He says to me, do you know what? He's been reading the Bible a little bit this week. And he realizes that his relationship with his girlfriend is not right. They're sleeping together and all of that stuff. There's something emotional here going on that is not godly. He hasn't figured it out, but he feels like God is saying to him. So now I explain to him soul ties, how that works. So I'm thinking like, oh, this is going to take a couple of weeks. This is going to be a long process. You know, 15 minutes later, he WhatsApps me. He says, no, he dumped the girlfriend. Because <laughs> he wants to follow God. And anything that stands in the way, he just wants to follow God. Something like, bring it on, Jesus. <laughs> you know? Oh, but he's got lots of zeal. He hasn't got any knowledge. I'd rather have the zeal and no knowledge and be known as somebody with faith. But you know, we start off, we start off with, with lots of zeal and then we lose it because we stop trusting God. We rely on ourselves. Come on, be honest. Because we figure it out. So we go through whole weeks and months and we don't need to trust God for anything. Why? Because we've got everything. We're together. Doesn't mean today you have to lose everything and you know go on the street so that you have to trust God. It's an issue of your heart. Are you just praying for yourself or are you starting to say, Okay, God, I realize that I've got everything I need, but you know what? There's a whole nation that is in fear that needs you. Use me as an instrument. Use us as an instrument. So will you stand with me today as we're gonna pray? Now, I've got the fortunate position of just taking a couple of stones, throwing it into the water, and then running, and then leaving Annie and John George and all of them with all the trouble. But you know what? What's happening in your heart at the moment? <laughs> And maybe you're cynical, maybe you're negative, maybe you think, yeah, I've been in church, yeah, I've done that, bought that, been there. I remember meeting a guy who was 84 years old. And he came like this, he said, yes, yes. 
And his wife was crying. And she said, yes. And I said, Wim, what's happening here? He said, no. It was after worship in Cape Town in, in the church. He walked up to us. He says, the Lord just released us. We're going to sell all of our stuff and we're going to plant a church in Zambia. He has just given us the go-ahead. We're selling all of our stuff tomorrow. We're leaving. God has given us another mandate. 84 years old. And I say, God, I want to be like that. Become like children. Innocent, pure before God. Just say, God, if my father says it, I believe it. I know it. And sometimes there's going to be a lot of failure around you. Sometimes you're going to pray. It's not going to work out. doesn't change anything about God. Sometimes we have to take those precious seeds. Because some of you and some of us here, we get discouraged. We get weary. But that's why that scripture says, with perseverance. <laughs> Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. With the words that have been spoken over you, Timothy. Because there's a lot of things that are coming against you. But Timothy, you need to take the words of God and you need to use it as an instrument against the devil and say, devil, I remind you. you need, some of you need to dust off those testimonies that God has given you, the stuff that has happened in your life and say, hey, my life is evidence. <laughs> you say, you see, every day when I stand here in front of you, when I preach, I've got evidence. Do you know the evidence is I, I stuttered. I couldn't speak for many years. I was too afraid to speak in front of people. Why? Because if you stutter, then you have to think of the words you're going to say. And by the time you get the guts to say the words, the conversation is already long on. So then you rather keep quiet and you walk away. You run away. That was the story of my life for many years. 14 years of my life. And I can speak to you today because of Jesus. I don't stutter anymore because of Him. Now you can come against me. You can say whatever you want to, whether Christ exists for you or He doesn't exist for you. But my life, the words that I speak is evidence to me that Christ lives. The fact that God can use somebody like me. I must tell you, God is getting very desperate. If He uses some people like me, then He's scraping the barrel at the moment. I don't know. Come on, church, wake up. You know, There's some of you that's much more qualified to speak than I am. So if he uses people like me, what's your excuse? Come on. Speak up. Don't be silent. Who's your God? Tell the world that Jesus lives. But see, when he gets you to be quiet and isolated and you don't worship him anymore, when you don't praise him anymore, you become the victim. We become isolated. And we don't believe his word anymore. So sir, what's happening in your heart today? Repent of that unbelief. Say, God, I want to start over again. I'm not saying sell all your possessions. I'm just saying it's a position of your heart. Are you trusting Him? Or are you just a, a churchgoer? Yeah, yeah. These people at Chofa, do you know what? These pastors, they've got lots of faith. I'll just ride on their faith. Huh? Come and put your faith with their faith. Woo! And see how it multiplies.